Welcome to Your 12:30, the podcast where our guests tell their story with the help of only 12 questions in ideally 30 minutes. Today we are thrilled to be joined by Daniel Alphon. Daniel is the author of Build a LinkedIn Profile for Business Success. Daniel joined LinkedIn in early 2004 and publishes articles, interviews, and exclusive content about advanced LinkedIn strategies to clients and subscribers on his website, danielalphon.com. Daniel, welcome. We are very excited to have you. My pleasure, Mike. I'm glad to be part of the 1230. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I kind of wanted to start there. Uh, I, from my understanding, LinkedIn started in 02, 03. Is that correct? I think 03 was a soft launch. Yes. Okay. And how, so how did you get involved so early? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a networking question, really, because I got an invite from someone who got it uh, even before me. I signed up early in... Uh, February uh, 04, and there was no concept of social back then, as you, as you know, but I trusted that person, and I said that if that person uh, thought that LinkedIn thing was important enough to invest his time, then I'd rather uh, check it, and that's the initial reason why I signed up. Okay, and that, that makes sense based on um, having the somebody that you were close with have, have the, the start there. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot has changed in the platform in the last you know, near 20 years. Uh, but before we get into that, um, why why have you kind of chosen LinkedIn as your platform of choice still after that time? Cool. Uh, would it be okay to say that LinkedIn chose me? Sure. Now, I didn't know when I signed up that it was going to become such a major part of, uh, of what I would do. Um, but two years after signing up, I was uh, holding a, a quota carrying sales position and it started very badly and the first three uh, uh, months were terrible. And one evening, Mike, I remember LinkedIn showing me the name of the person I needed to reach out to. And as you and I look at it back you know, today, it, it sounds like a, a no brainer, but back then it was amazing because um, maybe 25 to 30% of our time back then was to try to figure out who is the right person within the organization we needed to uh, speak with. You know, there were all sorts of databases that were either rich or uh, out of date and, and LinkedIn just helped me cut uh, my sales cycle by a third. And that's the moment I decided to specialize a bit more in it. And that's an excellent point that besides the uh transformation LinkedIn has made as a platform was the originally it was a, a central place to uh, find current up-to-date information on either other professionals in our industries industries you're looking to break into and so forth um, what were you selling in that position do you remember <laughs> yeah I was selling to, um, innovative stock store fixtures to uh, retails and retailers and, and North American uh, chains and it was a merchandising uh, solution that was a bit innovative and, and interesting, and it helped me uh, grow my um, my ties with uh, with the U.S. and travel to the U.S. and, and visit it for the first time. So it's a it's a fond memory. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, so fast forwarding to today, what do what are you doing on LinkedIn? How are you engaging clients? You know, you've got the the content which you discussed up top, but just what is your what is your uh, daily experience with the platform look like currently? Cool, with pleasure. Um, my my um, incoming uh, requests or inquiries are basically referred to me by people I worked with. 
So someone would reach out and say, I had a discussion with Joe and, and Joe said, uh, you knew about LinkedIn. I checked you out. You looked okay. And this is where I stand. I want to grow my business. I'm about to launch my business. I'm pivoting from A to B, all sorts of uh, uh, positions. And then we try to analyze. The initial discussion is actually Mike, not about LinkedIn at all. And uh, it's, it's about... Um, uh, their objective and their, their business objectives and the business metrics that they would like to focus on. I was listening to the conversation uh, you had with Alvin about uh, uh, cash and, and, and cash flow. And I remember him saying that uh, his initial conversation was not about the cash flow. It was about their objective and the, the lifestyle that the, his clients uh, wanted and they were initially surprised. So I get a parallel experience from, from my end. LinkedIn is a tool. It's amazing. It has close to 700 million users. And according to LinkedIn statistics in the summer of 2022, every second, three people sign up. Wow. But it's still only the tool. It helps us get from not knowing the person to working with them. And we shouldn't be uh, blinded by, by the tool. We need to get back to basics. LinkedIn is the tool that should help us grow our career or our business. So just to just to follow up on that, when you say it's the tool, what what distinction are you hoping to make? That is it separate from what we do? Is not our service or product? If you could just a little bit further, what do you say? It's just the tool. What do you mean specifically? With pleasure. Many uh, initial conversations I have with people is is when they reach out to me and say, "Okay, I want more connections, or I want more views, or I want all, all sorts of LinkedIn metrics." And the truth is that for me, the LinkedIn, the LinkedIn metrics should not count. The metrics that you should focus on are their business metrics, real life metrics. If you're helping real estate uh, agents work less and gain more, then the metrics should not be whether they have 2,000 more connections, but whether they can earn more with less time. And if that happens thanks to LinkedIn, then we're great. And if that doesn't happen, then the LinkedIn metrics should not be the focus of our attention. That was the distinction I was hoping to make. Excellent. So that, that's, that's a wonderful illustration. Uh, so then kind of with that in mind, why is LinkedIn the best tool for, or which businesses is LinkedIn the best tool for? We'll start there. Great. Um, LinkedIn is, is uh, a tool we need to take into account because for most people, when we Google their name, their LinkedIn profile is likely to be top of the list. Even if, if you know, published authors, people who've done TED Talks, amazing uh, people who are really uh, authorities in their field, their LinkedIn profile will still, still top the list. And it doesn't matter, Mike, whether they uh, logged into LinkedIn three months ago or they're uh, active now. So we need to manage it. We cannot let LinkedIn manage it and we cannot just stick with the default that LinkedIn uh, gods have uh, designed for us. We need to make it aligned with what we'd like to achieve. Okay. And have you, with, with that in mind, have you seen certain either businesses, certain sectors that should use LinkedIn as their primary tool, as a complement to what they're doing, or uh, just... I guess with the distinction between so many social platforms, who should be who should be targeting LinkedIn as that kind of driver? 
Great question. So I think the um, the, distinction, the distinction I would like to make is about the B2B element of your business. And what I mean by that is, is two things. First of all, if you're in business, then forget about the job uh, hunt and the job seeker aspect of LinkedIn. Don't think of, of your own profile as uh, a CV, but consider it to be a website of yours. I'm not, so, I'm not saying the website, you may have a website, and, and if, if not, you can think of LinkedIn as a website that needs to convert your ideal reader into performing the action you would like them to perform. This is the simplest uh, way to, uh, to look at it. You ask three questions. One, who's your ideal reader? Two, what action would you like those people to perform when they bump into the profile? And three, have you provided them with the right information in the right order at the right time for them to understand that you're part of the solution? And if I can say one more thing about the B2B aspect, as, as uh, you work with many, many uh, realtors, instead of coming to LinkedIn and doing the same thing they would do on, on Instagram, like the listing of the current uh, condo, no offense, is LinkedIn is not the first tool that anyone will use in order to buy a house. But when I meant what I meant by saying B2B is that uh, targeting attorneys, for example, could be a very good idea for real estate professionals because attorneys could, you know, most people when they buy a, a condo or a house, maybe the next time they would need your services is down the road, maybe three years or five years time. But uh, uh, an attorney, whether there's uh, inheritance or divorce or any other life-changing situations, they could refer way more than one client to you. I think that's a very profound point. The ability to use the platform to have partners specifically for referrals and introductions as opposed to business to business i i need to just reach out to who my potential consumer is business or not that there are plenty of relationships that i can collaborate you know have we can collaborate together and that they can introduce me to well you know well more a greater figure than if i reached out directly and i've got a warm introduction so that, that's it's a very powerful way to leverage the platform you use the word target what outside of uh, posting and not posting listings, as you mentioned. What's a good way to to do that, or what? When you say target, what do you mean? Okay, so we go back to the question: Who's your ideal uh, reader? And um, if you it boils down to your connection strategy. Very quickly, there is the quality aspect and there is the quantity aspect. And most LinkedIn users fail to choose one but I would recommend actually choosing one. If you're into quantity, then you need to reach 30,000 connections as soon as possible, because maybe Mike, only 2% of people will see what it is that you share. So if you have 30,000 connections, that amounts, the, the amount would be 600 people. That's, that's nice. That's a sizable amount. Or you could say, no, I'd rather connect with people I know well. It could be 80, it could be 800, doesn't matter. But then you run advanced searches and you find your ideal prospect. And if you share a mutual connection with them, you can uh, uh, see the names of those mutual connections. And then the secret is to leave the LinkedIn platform, communicate with that uh, connection, that mutual connection outside of LinkedIn, email probably for most people, ask how they've been, mention the name and, and, and email the link of your prospect and ask whether they know that person well enough or they would feel comfortable making the introduction. If they do, 
it means you the the attention you would get is not thanks to your name or my name it, it is thanks to the name of the mutual connection who's made the introduction and intros as you know are probably a source of, of some of the best clients we, we can have in a trust-based business. This episode of Your 1230 is brought to you by Accomplished RE, helping real estate agents achieve time, location, and financial freedom. I, I don't think you can overstate that point that in a trust-based business, having somebody open that door for you, having them make the warm introduction, explain who you are, why you're a good connection, uh, cuts down the sales process, the cycle, and it just puts you on such higher level footing. And as we talked about, the quantity of it is going to be higher as well. It just makes a ton of sense, but it's not it's not commonly utilized, uh, let alone understood by many. Why do you think that is? Um, I'm, I'm trying, still trying to figure it out. Many people sort of lose their, their logic when they log into LinkedIn and think that this is uh, some new playground. And truth is, I, I haven't seen LinkedIn change anything in our psychology. If uh, if someone I trust recommends you, then our conversation is, is going to be a lot easier for both of us. And, and I would come pre-sold. I would be less price sensitive. And I, I may be even likelier, Mike, to refer people, uh, clients to you in two months time or four months time simply because of that so forget about linkedin that happened you know millennia uh, um it could be a thousand years ago that still counts because exposure is not what we're looking for i know that in any google search i would run i would sort i will find all sorts of people who claim to do the same thing as you and i do but if someone i trust says no you need to speak to mike that's worth more, better, more than the top result on Google because by by putting their name on the line, they basically vouch for you and they would never, no one in, in their right mind would recommend someone when they think the, the relationship is not going to be good. So 99 of, of, of the process has been you know, uh, uh, achieved before we even speak. That... That's really a fantastic explanation and another great illustration of why why the platform can can work as far as introductions, referrals, and how you can go back to the work, how you can target properly to uh, really help others because you can be doing the same. So it would be collaborative in nature. Uh, but the other half of the to and you mentioned two percent that if I'm posting that if I've got thirty k followers, I can hope for two percent to see. What what do you either counsel recommend as far as a content strategy and i'm sure it's it's specific to to the business but what what where is a good starting point for content on linkedin cool so very roughly the first layer should be your online your, your linkedin presence your profile basically and then your connection strategy and the third element would be your, your content strategy just, just like you said so my initial question would be do you have high quality educational content that you can repurpose or use, not for the sake of LinkedIn. Do you have that on your website or on your social platforms or anything? And if you do, then repurposing or sharing that content on LinkedIn is easy. And it's a good way to get the right sort of people you'd like to discover you thanks to your content. The best content I found to work is 
top of funnel, educational, evergreen content. So if you can think about the problems your ideal clients are struggling with, and you could curate or produce content around that, then you can, you're able, Mike, to show them that you've helped them move from point A in a baby step to point B. And now they can trust you enough to say, you know what, and how do I get to point C? And this is the point where you can say, let's jump on a strategy call, or I've got a forthcoming webinar, or let's do something that would be uh, helpful for you. But you need to provide that value first. And instead of trying to sell and to, to shove uh, sales down people's throat, you can really focus on the content or the questions they're asking themselves and helping them to make at least one step in the right direction. So it's while the content and the connection strategy are separate, that is a good way to see how they can certainly work together, that you've got that evergreen content that is educating others who may or may not know about you, they can turn into potential customers to potential referral introduction sources without ever having that, that strategy call or that connection. And it's just a way to either uh, hasten that timeline or uh, to expand the circle. So uh, that, that makes a lot of sense as you explain it. Uh, again, I do feel like that's a, another underutilized thing that it's more of a, I'm going to spray connection request out there, hope that I've got a, a good return and then hey, do you want to jump on a call type thing? And that's, uh, I'm assuming, not not something you recommend. And I'm sure there's plenty of anecdotal evidence that that's not working for most people. Yeah, I could share with you afterwards a great cartoon uh, um, uh, just about that. But initially, it makes our prospect cringe because they, they, when they see the, the incoming uh, invite, they know that 15 seconds after accepting our invitation, if that's what we do, then they would get they would get an an amazing offer for something they've never asked and never could be uh, interested in, and that pollutes the quality of our network and it hurts our name. And we've worked for years to to gain that reputation, and you know, killing our reputation is 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 something we can achieve in in minutes, thanks to automation and all sorts of things like that. It doesn't matter whether we whether we get the 05 percent if all the market thinks about us as untrustworthy. Excellent point. And off of that, is there any instances where you either work with current clients where automation does make sense or any, any time where it should be part of your strategy? Great question. Uh, I'm, I am uh, sometimes uh, consulting clients to use some sort of automation in the content sharing aspect. So if you have a blog post and you have, uh, there is a there are many ways for you to share that content. You can basically train an intern to do it like the first time next to you, and the second time you would watch them, and the third time they would they would do it alone. Or use some automation tool. For example, instead of have relying too heavily on your connections, what you could do is find and join communities on LinkedIn groups where that message is relevant. And you can find dozens of groups within minutes and join those groups. And then when you have educational content around your field, sharing that could be automated. It could be uh, delegated and certainly could be automated. The most challenging part to automate is the connection strategy if, you, if you'd like a quality network. Because only you, Mike, would know whether there is someone you know well enough or not. So that, that's a... That's a 
that's helpful on the automation piece, but that's spurred two other questions. And I, I first wanted to say there, do you, do you ever, it sounds like the quality of your network is generally the default that you would recommend. Is there a time where let's get that number up is, is the, is what makes sense to you? When would that be? Absolutely. If you're already past 10,000 connections, then it would take you years to get back to a quality network. And if you're producing lots of content and if you're happy sharing stuff and getting, uh, you know, maybe even 2% exposure, that could be a, a good strategy if you have a lot of content and many connections. But if you have like 2,000 or 3,000, you could still switch and decide, A, I want to go for quality or B, I want to go for quantity. The best question to ask yourself is, is in three years time, Mike, would you like to be the best connected or would you like to be the most connected? Not because we're having a bad quarter, but really in three years time, it takes so much effort to move from quality to quantity or the other way around that it shouldn't be a conjecture. It shouldn't be just because we're having a bad month. We'll stick with the results for years to come. So think about it really for the long term. Would you like to, if you had to pick one, is quality or quantity good for you? And if it is, you need to go there all the time. Is there ever an argument for both? That's the general tendency because we, we were afraid humanly of, of making that choice because we want both quality and quantity, right? Like 99% of people start with quality and then they keep hearing they need to grow their network and the danger zone, Mike, is, is by... Say I had uh, 200 connections I knew well, I could find five attorneys and, and, and five people I could uh, reach out to every month. And now I increase the number of my connections and I have 2000 connections. So what happened is, is I have a twofold problem. One, I no longer know most of my connections. So I water down the quality of the introduction. In most cases, I cannot ask for the, for the introduction. And all that has only allowed my content to be seen by 40 people. So I added 36 people by spending hours in growing my network because I didn't go the whole way to the quantity aspect. And, and probably the, the, the trying to aim for both is likely to um, make you end up with very little of either no exposure and no trust. That's very well put, that trying to get both there, you're going <laughs> to end up with neither and kind of uh, really, really accomplish nothing. Uh, but you mentioned something in the automation question that I wrote down that I wanted to follow up on. The And if you couldn't tell, I could ask you LinkedIn questions all day, which I'm going to try not to. But joining communities and groups uh, yes. makes a lot of sense and then becoming active in those groups. Uh, a mistake that I think... I see, and I'd like you to address not only why it's a mistake, what could be done instead, is that somebody joins these groups and they are super active. They are, hey, you know, here, this is who I am. This is now they're using it kind of as a commercial for themselves upon, or they are quickly identifying themselves as I am here for me as opposed to any other purpose. How, how should you, uh, when you're new to a group, especially a larger, more established group, what, what, would be the proper way to introduce yourself to that group and to um, collaborate in a way that would be beneficial for everybody involved. Well, 
I love the question. So let's try and be systematic about it. And the initial question I would ask is about the size of the group. You mentioned the, the, the fact it's been established, but in some cases, Mark, you could join a group that has 300 people, but it's a great group for you. How can that group be great for you? Not by sharing content, but by actually looking at the names and, and what those 300 people do you may end up finding half a dozen or 20 prospects that have joined that niche group. And that means that you, you perform no public action on that group, the group, you join the group, and then you monitor what happens and you see, you, you look at the names of the people and you understand that five or 10 or 30 of them could be a good fit. Instead of shouting it from the rooftop in, in small groups, you may be the only one who would share you can actually do this outside of the group, either sending them a connection with a customized connection request or commenting on something that they have published within that group or on their uh, individual profile or get introduced. There, there are many ways to do it. And the simplest would be actually to publicly visit the profiles of interesting prospects. And that is something that you can do within minutes and 20, 40, 60% of them, the active LinkedIn users will check you out. Well, the view back rate is going to be maybe 30%. And then some of them will extend an invitation request or some of them will look at you and then you would figure out the, the best way to communicate with them. So even for small groups, you can gain clients without even sharing anything on that group. But let's take the question to the larger groups. I think we need to listen and monitor before we do anything. And that would be at least a week. And, and you would see what happens in, in, in some cases, you would see that there is one dominant uh, person who may, maybe the group manager or owner or someone else who would post 80% of the content of that group. And reading the group rules is going to help you a lot. In some cases, the only content that you can share is defined by the group policy and you'd better ad adhere to that policy. So maybe just find the one piece of educational content that is relevant for that group and even then wait for the right opportunity for you to share it as an answer to someone else's question. And whenever you share something on the group, you, you need to remember that we're writing it for John Doe but the eyes of 10 or 10K people could be interested in that content. And our last point about this is, would be that sometimes we can, instead of polluting the group, we can try to communicate with that person. Okay, we would do the first step. We would answer their question and maybe point to a resource. And when they ask the follow-up question, then you would leave the group, you would communicate with them and, and you, you don't have to um, turn that one-on-one -on -one conversation into a sales, calls, a sales call within the group. So have a system. My system is, is not perfect. You can, you can tweak it. Anyone listening can say that part is not something I like, but I can tweak it and, and that part would work for me. And as you know, 90% of people don't have any system at all. So, yes, it's it, unfortunately probably 90% is even on the conservative side of that figure. But as you mentioned your system and the ability to make it work for certain clients, who are your clients or who do you find yourself most 
most working with, best working with, and, and look to work more with. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, the ideal prospect for me would be someone who's been on LinkedIn for a couple of years, probably, but now they have a need and an urge to, to use LinkedIn much better. Uh, some of my um, longest-standing clients are an outplacement uh, firm where I, I uh, run workshops for uh, engineers who need to uh, brush up their LinkedIn skills for the job hunting uh, activities or new business owners who business owners who pivot and, and they may have been on LinkedIn and use it for you know corporate people who've been with, uh, uh, within corporate America for 5, 10, 15 years. And now they want to freelance or become consultants. So, so these would probably be the sweetest spots I can think of. Okay. And of those making a pivot or the, the consultant uh, folks using your example, uh, if they're looking to, uh, say, branch out or target a newer community, people they may not be connected with, uh, you know, it makes sense with a lot we've talked about today to have, uh, growth on people that you know or have introductions to others is there a good first step if they're looking for maybe a different geography a different a different sector or outside of having somebody uh, it, already that they work with or the, in their network to make that introduction is there anything else they can do or is that really where they should start um we can I have a client that um, needed to test the waters with a new offering, shall we say. And because the, pro the, the offer itself could be uh, interesting for many people, what we did initially was to actually use LinkedIn advanced searches feature in order for us to uh, pinpoint uh, metro area that was not key for that client. And in other words, what we did was for two months, we played in that uh, sandbox and the lessons we've learned enables to move to the key uh, um, targets and the key uh, territories they wanted, and they were they improved their their offering. They knew the questions that people asked initially, and that helped them close much faster, gain a lot more referrals and testimonials from people. So the initial um, place where we got our feet wet was not our dream target. It was uh, something we could sacrifice at 2% of the market, but it was a great test for them to learn from, improve, and then go to the uh, Carnegie Hall of... Uh... And that's another great example. And, it, and I, I would say, I, I don't love the term, but I feel like this has been a 30-minute masterclass on LinkedIn, specifically the the business-to-business -business outreach. And like I said, I could easily pepper questions at you all day, uh, but I won't do that. But as we're nearing time somehow, uh, switching gears a, a little, uh, we've talked all about LinkedIn, so I will not ask you that to wrap up. What are you doing when you are not working with clients, not on LinkedIn for yourself? What do you like? To, where, where do you find yourself? What do you call entertainment? Um, music is probably the longest standing hobby I, uh, I remember. I've got an eclectic uh, music uh, um, taste. Anything from classical music, 17th uh, Handel and, and Mozart, to uh, R&B, soul, uh, Dylan, uh, uh, all sorts of uh, French and Israeli obscure uh, groups. And um, I think I, I now better know what sort of music I need to perform some, some work. So the sort of uh, instrumental music I would need to, um, to uh, detail a plan, 
or when I need to write an important email, what sort of music, what sort of soundtrack would help me focus on the task and still enjoying the uh, the music is, is something that I, I probably do a bit better today. That's important to understand that relationship there, that for this music, for this task. So that's, that, that's good to put the time in. Uh, you have quite a variety that you like. Is there anything you absolutely will not listen to? I hope not. There, there's... Um... No, I can't say... Uh, I, I, we can learn from anyone and everyone. And even listening to something, we're, I see the, the, our ability to listen to music as, as a gift. And I know um, I'm thankful for, for my ability to, to hear sort of music and to be able, you know, our parents could not discover the sort of music we could discover on Spotify or Pandora within 10 minutes. They had to travel to see the concert or to, <laughs> it, 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 it's, you know, it's only a lifetime. And uh, I could learn from anyone, even if uh, I, I would say I'm not, I'm no longer interested in listening to that artist. I could uh, learn from, I can find, you know, the Sam Cooke uh, voice uh, excellent, and I could uh, uh, enjoy the the um, orchestra for for another task. There's no, there's not bad music, I think. Okay, good answer. And what are you listening to now, or what? When we end here, what what will be the next thing you hear? Wow, thanks. Um, I was invited to a podcast that deals with the Bruce Springsteen music. Okay. And because there have been over a hundred episodes, so I'm trying to figure out a playlist that would be not the usual suspects, but some obscurities and some collaborations and some uh, hidden tracks and some of, um, you know, uh, Steven Van Zandt or other people who have collaborated with uh, with Springsteen and not just the hit. It, it, it's not going to be a, a hit list. So this is what I would uh, probably listen to uh, after uh, today. I think that is the perfect analogy for our conversation today, that with when dealing with Springsteen, that you are not going to play the hits, that you are going to look, you're going to strategize, have a way to highlight the quality and then to put a different spin on something that a lot of other people have done perhaps well but to do it your way and to do it uh, exceptionally well uh, daniel where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more thank you very much danielalfon.com okay and i assume you're on linkedin as well yes sir all right so we'll make sure to uh, post uh, those links as well as anything else that's relevant anything else i i mean there's plenty i've left on but anything else i should have asked you today during our time together no, I enjoy the flow of the conversation, and uh, um, I learned a lot from from the way you you rephrased and asked your questions. And I wanted to thank you for the time spent with me. You got it. This was uh, both uh, fun and a learning experience for me. So I, I appreciate you walking me through your thought process because I've learned a ton. Uh, I'm somewhat. Uh, reluctant to say that I, I've, I've <laughs> made mistakes and we'll have to correct those once I get off. So I'll, I'll put on some Bruce and make those changes myself. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for your time and I look forward to doing it again. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be, speak with you and, and I made all the mistakes possible. I, 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 we couldn't speak like that, you know, 15 years ago. But, but doing is, is the way to learn from your mistakes to so go and do, do things. Thank you. You've made me feel better about it. So I, I continue to make all the mistakes, and now I'm in good company. So I appreciate it. Have a good day, Daniel. Thank you.